This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free, so you don't have to worry about monthly hosting fees. It has built-in creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or you can record and edit using your favorite audio recording software and upload it straight to Anchor. Anchor will also distribute your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Pocket Casts. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and Anchor will even match you with advertisers as your audience grows. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, Anchor is a pretty great place to start. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H. OR.FM to get started. Your downstairs mix up is between you, God, and your primary care physician. People have those? You're listening to Two Weaves in a Trench Coat. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Madison. And today we have our second ever guest, which is hi. exciting. Yeah. Hi, I'm Eli. Yeah, <laughs> I jumped right in there. Hello. I'm Eli. Tell the good people your pronouns because this, oh. in- this is an inclusive podcast. Yes. Um, I use he, him pronouns. They, them, okay, but he, him, right there. Hell yeah. Yeah. We are back from another sort of unintentional extended recording break after the after Suzanne's last episodes (laughs) because we both got terribly busy again yeah I put out that um I put out that tangent episode that is full of some oh my god takes but (laughs) the minute I saw that that's what you were that that's what you were doing I went well time time to get we kept joking about it but time to get canceled (laughs) oh no yeah no a lot of that was was cut for being very spicy. <laughs> no, legitimately, a lot of it was just cut for time. Because I think the most controversial part is where you go off about Umbrella Academy. And it had, like, at the start, you're like, okay, listen, you have to cut this out because it has nothing to do with anything else. And it was true. It had nothing to do with anything else. That segment alone is like 10 minutes. <laughs> Madison, it's 20. <laughs> it's 20? It takes up the bulk of that episode. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, that's because we, didn't we go from like Umbrella Academy Gerard Way drama to like pro shippers? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. A mess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tumblr would eat us would eat us alive. We'd be canceled oh, so fast if anyone terminally online and with an opinion listened to us. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and, I, and I say that as a, a host of a podcast. Where we are both, unfortunately, <laughs> terminally online people. <sighs> yep. <laughs> but but back on topic. Yeah. Hello. W- welcome back, everyone. Welcome. Welcome, Eli. I'm excited to have our, our second ever guest. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I, I gave the other guest episode a listen recently to kind of like get a vibe. And I was like, oh, I don't have any of these credentials. 
Other than that, I have had chronic terminal when they cry brain rot for like 12 years. Actually, like 15 years. <laughs> it makes you feel any better. That's pretty much Zach. Um, he has a lot of knowledge about very niche things. So I'm sure he could have gone on for another hour. Oh, yeah. I think he wrote he wrote notes. There are points that I had to cut out where he would keep talking and I tried to like jump in and he didn't hear me. <laughs> it's... It's the menthol illness. Yes. <laughs> I totally get it, though. That's me with World of Warcraft lore, and that's both me and Suzanne with My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and for me, I'm, like, trying to find the balance between, like, wanting to talk about this series in a way that doesn't spoil everything, which is what I'm going to do with, because I ultimately want people to get into this and be surprised and delighted along the way. And then versus, like, the six hours of thoughts I have about <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Me with Death Note, yes. Understandable. Yes. <laughs> so how about you tell the good listeners a little bit about yourself and then go ahead and jump into what what you will be learning us about today. All right. Um, so I am Eli. I have known Maddie for quite some time now i've been involved in um like cons and cosplay and general nerd shit for oh, years yeah. now <laughs> we realized um after hanging out for a couple years at and me- meeting and ha- now being friends for several year- years at larp that we were basically passing ships in the night at several of the same conventions <laughs> yes oh, that's so funny like we were there is a very, very, very good chance that we were at a lot of the same, like, fandom photo op gatherings. You, you can name it if you want. Oh, no. The listeners <laughs> oh, already know. Yes. The <laughs> listeners already know that I am a known Homestuck enjoyer, uh, unfortunately. I am also a Homestuck enjoyer. But... Like, not actively, yeah. but forever cursed to forever. just think about parts of it that were cool. Yeah, and we've just talked and we've been like, you know, I think I saw you at the 2012 ALA gathering or whenever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, and that that's me. I've been cosplaying and involved in weeb, weeb stuff for forever. And I'm going to be talking about the uh, When They Cry series. The most, like, well-known of that is the Higurashi no Nakukoro ni, which is an anime but started as a game. And I have been into it pretty much since that anime aired. I went back and I played the games. I played the the rest of the games in the series multiple times. These these games are as long as Homestuck is. And oh God! <laughs> yeah, like I looked up the word count. It's like longer than World. Uh, sorry, longer than War and Peace. And I'm just oh, here dear. reading them through back to back. Oh my God! Yeah, no, that's a that's. That sounds about right for being as long or, if not longer, than Homestuck. Because Homestuck, I think its final word count was, like, either one and a half or two times the length of War and Peace. We can, this is a Googleable question. Yeah. Up in the millions, for sure. Yeah. Uh, about 800,000 words in Homestuck. That is an outdated number. Okay, I figured. Oh, I just saw a post that says Homestuck cracked a million words. Yeah, so. that sounds... Yeah, it, it, it is a million and some change. Yeah. At least. And that's... I don't think they counted, like, Flash games and any, like, of the interactive text stuff because of job... 
uh, flash breaking, so they can't go back and, like, do them. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so on on par with Homestuck, several series. Jesus. Yeah, and so they started as sound novels, it, and the that term wasn't coined for this series, but it's one that's really, like, when you think of sound novels, you think of the One They Cry series. Oh, really? Yeah. It's essentially a visual novel, but... The art, the original art wasn't great. It was all hand drawn by the uh, creator Ryukishi O Seven, mm-hmm. and he certainly has a style. Um, some people have described oh, no. it as like <laughs> hand hams. Oh yeah, I've seen. I got um someone I think bought me like the first one, and it has like updated art. But I've seen mm-hmm. the original, and it's um, it sure is some drawings. It it gets it grows on you. I can't play it with the updated yeah. sprites. Um, to be honest. That's Especially fair. Umineko. But yeah, it's a it's a kinetic visual novel, so there's no you don't really make a choi- choices throughout the story. It's just one story. There is one exception with the uh, final Umineko Nanakakoro ni game. There's like two branching routes at the very end. But it's not like your other visual novel where you make choices throughout the story and it impacts the storyline. Like how most people would be familiar with mm-hmm. the like like dating sims dating sim visual novel games yeah there's a greater emphasis on telling the story and using the images and the sound especially to kind of um, emphasize it the the sound design huh. especially is really important and the soundtracks are all like chef kiss amazing uh, my favorite thing so they're, they're put out by seventh expansion which is a dojin circle i don't know if in case people aren't familiar with dojin circles they're essentially self-published like companies kind of like groups of usually like friends and family they put out like comics or video games in this case a video game and the head of that is ryukishi uh 07 or the 07 can also be read as reina because of um goro wase and he originally worked for the japanese government as a civil servant but he always kind of wanted to do video game stuff but never really you know went to school for for the the programming or the graphic design or anything but he was always a fan of like Final Fantasy and stuff, and that's actually where the his name comes from, because Ryukishi is Dragon Knight. Oh, like okay. the class. And oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he started Seventh Expansion, and it was originally just him, his brother, and his friend. So just the three of them. It later grew to more um, artists, um, like music artists, and um, the most recent one, I think he's had like other visual artists drawing, but. Ryukishi drew all the character images himself and wrote the game by himself. He also went out and took pictures for the background images for Higurashi no Nakikoro ni and kind of just like ran them through Photoshop to kind of make them match the vibe. And when the, fir- when the first Higurashi no, Kikoro- no Nakikoro ni game came out, which is the Onikakushihen, uh, it was actually used like royalty-free music. He just used free music from the internet and programmed Hell the entire yeah. thing on Enscriptor. It was all just like a very homemade like project. That's that's incredible though. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that its origins were like as a game made by one dude. Yeah. And it's actually kind of incredible cuz he released it at the summer 20 uh that's not how I do years anymore. 2002 Comic-Con. <laughs> and he only sold 5 copies at that first Comic-Con. Wow. Damn. And it's kind of wild to think about because, like, there was an anime that came out this year that was based on it, which I'll talk about a little later because uh, it was a reboot, but also not. Love when that happens. Yeah. But 
after he only sold five copies, he started like giving out free copies and saying that like you can have this game for free and the next one if you review it and like tell your friends about it. I mean, that's good marketing. Mm-hmm. And so like word spread through um, word of mouth uh, because people were like, these are actually really good. And now there's several ports of the games like it's on Steam, there's PlayStation, there is like PlayStation portable ports of Higurashi anime adaptations, manga adaptations, live action adaptations, and collaborations with brands like Sanrio. They have a Higurashi collab right now. Nice. Wait, so I assume the original was in... I'm sorry if we're going to get into this, but I assume the original was in Japanese. Mm -hmm. So were there like fan translations at first? Yeah. The company... uh, Not company. The the fan group Witch Hunt did the fan translations, and they were so good that they're actually the official translations now. Like, they work with 7th Expansion now for the newly releasing games that are coming out. So I I feel like I should get into now with a little bit of background, like what When They Cry is. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so it's it's a series of, currently there's five parts in it, and there's Higurashi no Nakakoro ni, which is When They Cry 1, Higurashi no Nakakoro ni Kai, which is When They Cry 2, Umineko no Nakakoro ni, which is When They Cry 3, Umineko no Nakakoro ni Chiro, which is when they cry four and Kikonia no Nakukoro ni, which is currently coming out, and that's when they cry five. And they are the sound novels, they are suspense horror games. And I actually kind of forget that they're horror games because they address so many topics and are very like heartfelt. Like mm-hmm. I think especially if you just watch the Higurashi anime, it kind of has this reputation for being like a girl gore game not game, uh, anime with like kids killing each other. See, that's what I know it as because, God, when did the anime come out? Like, at least early, mid-2000s? 2006, I believe. Yeah, so I was in middle school. I had f- I had a couple of friends in, like, my friend group in middle school who were, like, the mm-hmm. lead group in middle school. And I had a couple of them who were, like, super into to Higurashi. And I never watched it in middle school, but I must have seen, like, cross-pollination must have seen Mm -hmm. like screenshots or something because i do only like to this day think of it as oh that's one of them (laughs) that's one of them guru animes (laughs) yeah and like i actually got into it i was in high school and someone was like oh you gotta watch this anime it's so violent and gory and me being an edgy high schooler was like yes which is (laughs) which is wild considering that you've seen it and i haven't and between the two of us i'm the horror gore person (laughs) yeah but yeah, it it uses that as a mechanism for telling the story, but ultimately it's about like kind of overcoming the tragic things that are happening to these characters. And like each of the stories has has different underlying themes. And so if we're talking about Higurashi, for example, the main underlying themes are like trusting your friends and like the bonds you forge. Also kind of an underlying theme of like anti-nationalism, <laughs> which you really only get with the visual novels. And it does address, like, things like that. That is, considering a lot of the nationalism of Japan that, I mean, we can't really truly understand the, like, intricacies of it, but, like, relatable because Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's terrifying. But, like, the fact that it has anti-nationalist themes is wild. Yeah, and it also kind of, like, touches on bureaucracy, too, because there's a part where they're trying to get... 
Um, they don't call it Child Protective Services because it has a different name in Japan, but they're trying to get Child Protective Services to inter- intervene for on behalf of one of the characters. And just, oh, like, wow. dealing with the bullshit bureaucracy and, like, a critique of how, like, that is and how these institutions don't necessarily help the people who need it most until it's too late. That is also kind of, like, an underlying theme. So, yeah, it touches on really dark topics in what I feel is a respectful way, and you get that with Umineko, too. And Kikoni is still coming out, so um, I can't be as much of authority on there, but I feel like they're definitely getting to that territory, too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's um, it, it's more than just the, the horror and gore, although that's definitely, I think, a big draw of it coming in. Like people, people are like, it's a horror anime. And then you're like, wait, there's there's more here. Yeah, I think a lot of people, if they know about Higurashi, they, they're like, oh, it's that anime with like the cute anime girls, but mm-hmm. also it's gory. Yeah. And then they don't really get into like all of the stuff that you just covered, which is... Mm-hmm super interesting yeah and i want to talk to uh, talk about umineko in a bit too once i get past like the brief summary i have of higurashi and stuff but umineko is just like chef kiss even better which is tragic that it's not more well known Mm -hmm. so higurashi it takes place in 1983 in uh, a really small town in like rural japan called hinamizawa and one of the main characters, um, Keiichi, had just moved in and he kind of like starts to realize that not everything's like as idyllic as it seems. And there's a, an annual festival coming up, the Watanagashi Festival. It's like their, uh, their um, local tradition for the, the town's like local deity, which is Oyashiro-sama. And shortly after the festival, people have been saying that like for the past few years, one person has been turned up dead and one person has disappeared and so the story is like getting into that like who's going to die and who's going to disappear this year and it's told through multiple arcs there are eight arcs in all in the higurashi series the first four are higurashi no nakikoro ni and the last four are are higurashi no nakikoro ni kai which is the answer arc and so the first four kind of like you start to explore the mysteries of this town and the events that have unfolded over a series of uh looping arcs so the first arc something will happen people will die and then the next arc it'll start over again and different events will occur and that's kind of like also a theme with the when they cry series is this looping different sets of circumstances that help you gather the the clues to figure out the whole picture of what's happening here and yeah uh, like i said before it addresses the themes of like friendship trust and doubt fate and miracles and perseverance it's a lot of like believe your friends you know don't like keep working together to overcome this and there is an anime of it of both higurashi and kai there's the games on steam and then recently they came out with a reboot that wasn't a reboot which is uh higurashi go and higurashi sotsu which um we were all kind of misled because we thought it was going to be a reboot there wasn't much information about it but they're like yes new higurashi coming out and we are like, excellent, reboot, because the old one was done by Studio Dean, and it had some quality moments where the animation was great. <laughs> and it turns out that wasn't it. So if you're looking to get into Higurashi, do not start with Go and Sotsu. Oh, oh, I was no. going to ask, because I've only seen, for some reason, I got to like episode 17 of um, the first Higurashi anime, and then mm-hmm. I d- never finished it. And I want to go back and finish it now. And then I saw that the reboot was happening, so it's not a yeah. reboot? 
It's not like episode two starts out, and I like I watched episode one, and episode one is very much like yes, faithful reboot, and then episode two starts, and I'm like, wait, that is something they drop in like arc six, like oh no, you need background knowledge to like fully oh. appreciate this. You can watch it on your on your own on its own, but it's going to spoil a lot of Higurashi, and it's also you're just gonna like it's gonna be fucking weird, like. Mm. there's stuff that makes sense throughout the course of the series but if you just are dropped right into it you're like wait what is what is happening here okay so yeah like if you get anything from this don't watch go and sotsu without <laughs> watching or reading higurashi no Kodoni and kai gotcha yeah copy that <laughs> I've been like, I knew it was coming out and I was going to like tell my friends and family like, oh, watch it. This is one of my favorite things. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, Higurashi no Nakikoroni isn't the only like part of this series. And so it's not a sequel, but it takes place kind of in the same world, which is Umineko no Nakikoroni and Imuneko Chiru. So Umineko is my favorite. Um, it is the one I've read the most. I think it's absolutely, like, amazing. And also very much a murder mystery. And more in the traditional, like, Agatha Christie murder mystery. Higurashi is a lot more supernatural and kind of rural Japan, like, bringing in deities and local religion. And Umineko is a lot more Western-inspired murder mystery type thing. And... Ooh. It takes place with the uh, the main the main conflict is the hyper wealthy Ushiromiya family because surprise there's themes of anti capitalism in Umineko. Nice, very good. <laughs> um, and it starts with their annual family conference set in early October, October fourth and fifth. This year it's the year 1986 on their private island owned by the family head, and the head of the family has like this obsession with the with Western occultism. And he attributes like the wealth of the family to this uh, to the family alchemist, which is this seemingly fictional figure named uh, Beatrice. And so the main character, his name is Badler. They all have weird names because the grandpa is obsessed with Western culture, and so they do like the Kira Kira naming, where it spells oh, I out. Love that. <laughs> yeah, like Badler's name is spelled Sento, so the character for war and the character for person, but it's pronounced Badler. That's okay. Wild. Yeah, and so it's names like that. Like there's <laughs> Jessica and Maria and George, and they're all spelled with kanji. Uh, it's fucking fantastic. Ooh, that's wild. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At least they're like normal real people names comparatively. Uh, because some of some of the Death Note names for Americans <laughs> are wild. Yeah, they're all like normal Western names. Like if you're reading them in Japanese, you'd be like, what the heck? Because I think maybe Battler is the only one that really translates out to a readable Japanese name. It's been a okay. while since I've like gone through and read their names in kanji. But yeah, so he's returning after six years of not going to the family conference because his mother died and his, and his, uh, his father quickly remarried and so he was salty about that he left and so they go to this family conference and a big like theme among the adult like a big conflict amongst the adult characters is how are they going to divide up the assets of their dying father because he's ancient people are like his health is in dispute people are like okay we got to divide up this money because we're all having financial troubles and shortly after that murders start happening 
without going too much into spoilers, there's like a series of Agatha Christie-esque murders. The island is closed off because of the typhoon, so they know it can only be someone who's on the island, whether it's a family member or one of the servants or like the cook or whatever. But yeah, murders start happening and they're attributed to the family alchemist Beatrice. Um, and so it's kind of a mystery of figuring out who's doing this and who is Beatrice. Because this is where it gets a little hard to explain and I feel a little bit like Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia talking about Pepe <laughs> Sylvia. <laughs> God. Because, uh, okay, so in the When They Cry series, and it touches on this in Higurashi, but it gets really, like, it's an important plot aspect in Umineko, is there is, like, a game board and the meta worlds. And the game board is where the, like, the story is happening and time is looping. Because if you think of them as, like, chess pieces on a game board, it makes sense that you can play a game, have an outcome, clear it, and set it up again. And then there's the metal world. So at the end of the first arc of Umineko, people die. And it kind of ends with Battler meeting Beatrice as meta beings, where the game is now between the two of them. Where he tries to prove that what that the events that happen on the island have occurred because of natural human action and she is trying to prove that it was only done through magic in an attempt to get him to essentially acknowledge her as a witch this is so much more involved than i thought <laughs> yeah this has so much more supernatural like elements than yeah. i thought it's it's very supernatural but also there's the whole like they call the they call it anti-mystery and anti-fantasy like she's on the anti-mystery side trying to prove it can only be magic and he's on the anti-fantasy side trying to prove that it can be done through mundane means and it, it gets to be so much more than that because the themes of umineko ultimately it's a love story and it also heavily touches on gender gender roles and sexuality mm -hmm. and also the relationship between an author and the reader as it's as their audience and like kind of like the obligations that those two roles have to each other and then it also really touches on like the cyclical nature of abuse and how, like, abused people end up, like, taking that out and continuing the cycle of it. A lot about, like, loss and forgiveness. And then there's also, like, just a smidge, just a touch of um, critique of that certain brand of the true crime community who makes a spectacle out of tragedy. Oh? Oh. Yeah, like, yo. I say, I say a smidge, but it's actually, like, a whole character is, like, part of her what she's struggling with oh yeah it's it's so good okay listen the show is already on my list but now it's like i need to watch this as soon yeah as yeah like i am it i am adding it too yeah and uh <laughs> with umineko there was an anime of the first four arcs the question arcs it sucks they never made oh they never made for the the other arcs uh some of the remixes of the soundtrack slap though I'll give it that. But Umineko was much better enjoyed either as a visual novel. Uh, the sound novel, that's like my ultimate recommendation on Steam. They have it there. Or if you don't want to do a visual novel, the manga is also a very faithful adaptation and actually adds in a few more details in the answer arcs, which I, I specifically bought some volumes of the manga because of the added chapters and that just add to the story and flesh it out. And... They have, it's very hard to find physical copies now, 
and I regret not buying them earlier, but they always had them for ebook. And I don't know, you know, if you happen to find it on the internet for free, that's a thing too. Not endorsing that, but also <laughs> it happens. <laughs> so yeah, I do recommend like going through Higurashi first before you start Umineko. Like it's it's not a sequel, but it establishes some truths of the When They Cry world, such as the like meta world. Mm-hmm. But it can also totally be read on its own. And yeah, there are there are queer characters in it that I think are handled quite well. And actually the adult characters, so first of all, like almost all of the characters are adults, uh, whether they're young adults or older adults. But the older adult characters, like the 40 and 50 year olds, they are complete characters with like their own backgrounds and arcs and like nuances. It's just very good to see like these older characters, like these parent characters still get to be their own character rather than just like here are the young adults, like the 18 year olds. Yeah, I was just thinking the other day, I feel like I noticed this mostly with mothers, where they stop being characters and they're just, like, the mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's a thing in Umineko because you have these mother characters, but they still have drives and ambitions and, like, things they want to do. And there's, like, different styles of being a mother. And I'm not going to say they're all good. They are all dysfunctional. Like, this whole family is dysfunctional. <laughs> But among us, yeah, <laughs> and it does it does touch on abuse of like all kinds. It'll never show anything of like a sexual nature, just like kind of hint at it, um, which I think is very good because it can discuss like the follow of that without actually showing it. So yeah, like just content warning for a lot of heavy stuff in it. But I really think that it's handled quite respectfully, and it's more about like how these people have dealt with. The cycle of abuse and not so much about the abuse itself which is umineko and then the last one in the series not counting all the spin-offs that there are is the one that's coming out currently uh which is kikoni and Nakukoroni. and while higurashi and umineko took place in the 80s this is post-world war three it's the future Oh, whoa. Which is a oh. little buck wild. <laughs> because, like... A little? Yeah, like, When the Cry had, like, this supernatural, mystery, like, kind of retro vibe. And now we're going into sci-fi. But still very heavy mystery. And the first arc came out in 2019. It is longer than Higurashi and Umineko. And I think they're saying that, like, it's going to be four arcs long instead of eight for the other two. So, like, the first arc of Kikonia took me 24 hours to read, when the other ones take me, like, 12 an arc, which is par for the course. And arc two was slated to be released in 2020, but 7th Expansion came out and said, hey, this is too close to what's happening in the real world right, real world right now, so we're just going to shelve it for the time being. Um, which kind of gives you an idea of the sort of themes that Kikonia is looking to get into. I actually have a quote here from Ryukishi about why he decided to shelve Kikonia for the time being. And so he said, it was like writing about Godzilla and Godzilla really ended up coming. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, Fuck. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so it takes place post-World War Three, And I feel like the themes it's getting into is kind of like, peace comes at like what cost? Like mm. war and peace and then like the cost of those um the pros and cons of technology instead of just like admonishing technology as a whole like here's the beneficial things it can do 
but here's like where it can also harm also about like child soldier child soldiers that's like the main thing because in the world of Keconia, it's post-world war ii world war ii like devastated the world technology was like it took it too far with war tech and so they're like mm-hmm. hey we need to we need to reel it back here and so they maintain peace by building these like hyper deadly weapons that everyone has Oh. That can only at the time being be manned by kids. They're what essentially the fuck? each kid is like a one um, a one man army. That sure is a way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like the in world justification has to do with like the neurology and how they adapted to technology and how kids can more easily adapt to new technology. Whereas if you're an adult, like it's harder to adapt. It's very Ender's game. Yeah. And so these kids with these who each command one of these, they're called gauntlet knights. They have like the, this piece of tech weapon tech that is equivalent to an army are like, Hey, we're like, this is on us to protect the world. So we are going to promise not to fight each other. And if our countries do send us out to fight each other, we're going to retreat when it gets to, we're just pretty much going to put on a show. We're not going to kill anyone. We're going to retreat when it gets too deadly just for the sake of like, the, the quote they use over and over again is holding up the walls of peace. And so, yeah, Kikonia is only in its first arc. Uh, things end tragically at the end. That's its Merry Christmas. Um, because, oh yeah, like, Higurashi is like summer festival. Like, that's the holiday that Higurashi's around. Umineko's around Halloween. And uh, Kikonia now is the Christmas one. What? <laughs> Because Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, enjoy your trauma, enjoy the trauma <laughs> of um, your friends dying while you're all in the same chat room. And goodbye. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, because like VR chat is a thing, and Kikonia again builds off Umineko. Where some of the like tropes and truths that come out in Umineko are kind of built off of in Kikonia, mm-hmm. and it continues to. It touches on, like, national identity because it does have an incredibly international cast. It features characters from Japan, Indonesia, China, India, Saudi Arabia, Madagascar, Iraq, South Africa, Algeria, Senegal, Egypt, Ethiopia, Angola, Brazil, and Mexico. And the United States. Forgot to mention that. <laughs> That's fine. We don't need to yeah. <laughs> Like, there's some European yeah. countries in there, too, but I, I want to specifically, like, mention those because, like, it's not just, here's our African character. It's like, no, we have characters from several different African nations. The fact that they even acknowledge that there are separate African nations is kind of incredible, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Suzanne's just like, yup. Yeah, and there, there are <laughs> wow. lots of characters from, like, Western Asia, like Iraq, and then, like, Africa, different, several different African nationalities. Uh, it's very good. And they're and they're not side characters, like several main characters. That's genuinely awesome because yeah. non-Japanese representation mm-hmm. in Japanese media it goes one of one of two ways. <laughs> On one hand, we have Hitalia. Oh God! Why would you invoke Hitalia on this <laughs> podcast? We're an anime podcast. <laughs> I know, but... I've invoked worse at this point. <laughs> it's true, you did mention Homestuck. Yeah, several times. Oh. <laughs> like, it's either Hitalia and, like, this weird line between 
being okay with it, mm-hmm. vaguely glorifying it or like fetishizing it. And then, like, the other, it swings around to the complete opposite side of this of this spectrum, which is just so fucking, we are so racist. Yeah. This is filled with racism. We have done no research, mm-hmm. and we don't care. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I think it was a Twitter thread that was, like, a lot of anime, well, like, the anime manga style was inspired by Western comics after World War II. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mostly comics coming out of America. Which, like, we know by now that America sure like blackface and minstrel for a hot minute. So if you're basing your black character designs off of those comics, you're going to end up with some very racist characters. Yeah. But, like, there's some anime and manga that have done it well, but it's kind of disappointing that it's, like, few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, like, I really appreciate about this, because you, you also don't have, like, those common design tropes that non-Japanese characters of color fall into, especially black characters with, like... Literal blackface. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> yep. They don't have any of that, um, which is really good. And there's, like, there's a hijabi character. She wears a hijab the whole time. Hell yeah. Like... It's it's really good as far as like that diversity goes, and it's only been one arc, so they're going to explore these characters more too. Also, like shockingly good um, addressing trans issues. We love to hear it on this podcast. Yeah. We literally <laughs> just did two episodes about queer culture in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Umineko, very queer, and this one also starting out very strong for the for the gays. Hell yeah! <laughs> but uh, like. The part that really impressed me as far as trans issues goes, like, I'm I'm going to try to keep this as spoiler-free as possible, but there are two characters, one male, one female, who we know because of reasons are biologically identical, and one one of the main characters is on a date with the girl, and he starts, like, he comes to this realization, he hops into the, the group chat with all the boys, and he's like, hey, dudes, what if... She's not biologically female. And all the rest of the guys are like, dude, does it matter? Does it change anything about how you feel about her? And he comes to the realization of like, no, it doesn't. Like, she's still her. Like, her biology doesn't matter. She is the girl I, I fell love... in love with. And I love that. And That's yeah, so good. It's so fucking good. What a good. good group of homies. Yeah, like, <laughs> get into group chat with all the homies. <laughs> and like... The homies were like, stop being transphobic. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And the the guy's kind of a himbo, too, so he wasn't being, like, you know, intentionally <laughs> transphobic, but, like, that kind of transphobia that's baked into society. And they're like, yeah. dude, no. Like, it's fine. It doesn't change anything. Listen. Listen. Touching a penis doesn't make you gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, her... Whatever equipment she has doesn't change the fact that whatever, like this character's feelings for the trans character are are still valid and were, like, before he found that out. Mm-hmm. And we still don't know, like, which which character, is, it, their sex matches their gender, and I, we probably won't even know, because a similar thing came up in Umineko. Good. Where it's just I like never revealed. It's vague. Yeah. I like that. It doesn't need to be. It's no one's business what equipment you're packing down mm-hmm. there. Genuinely. It's like your identity is what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Your downstairs mix-up is between you, God, and your primary care physician. Yep. People have those, <laughs> right? 
Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm on Medi-Cal, so I do, but I have poor people with medical insurance. <laughs> so you, you get them there. Yep. But yeah, I was just very impressed with that, especially, like, given Japan's track record with LGBT issues. Uh, yep. <laughs> the answer, poor. Yeah, and especially, like, <laughs> trans characters. Like, there have been... I, I've heard of some coming out recently in media that are that are better, but there's there's a whole history there with certain words we won't say, but that I grew mm-hmm. up way too familiar with being a teen on the internet. Yes. Yeah. The comment sections for some anime is uh, a hot mess yep um like the the most recent one i can think of that i'm watching this season um a show that has a trans character is blue period Mm -hmm. this is kind of getting off track but the show can't seem to decide what pronouns to use for them because they present as female pretty much constantly but the main character who's been friends with them since like middle school or something will constantly use he him pronouns mm-hmm. and then like the fan subs can't seem to decide if like they should call her a trans girl or just gender fluid or something else kami can't communicate has the same problem where there's a character that will say is gender fluid mm-hmm. and dresses in a lot of feminine clothing and her childhood friend will also refer to her with he, him pronouns. And it's just, like, especially if you're not listening to it and if you're just reading the subtitles, you can't know what personal pronouns that character is using. And, like, you pretty much have to listen to the show to decide. And it's not enough of a focus for a character to say, like, by the way, I'm trans in, like, Mm -hmm. a natural way. So, like... You have these interesting characters that are showing up now, but I feel like there's this conflict between people who are doing the translations and maybe how these characters are presented, where there's a disconnect between, like, if the original creator intended for that character to be trans or something else. Yeah. Hmm. And I feel like if you have cis people doing the translations, like, cis people don't know what the fuck they're talking about, so, like, I can't tell how much of it is, like... (laughs) just lost in translation Mm -hmm. yeah i will say for this the translation has been like very good no character who falls under the trans umbrella has been like misgendered whether in the translation or even by any of the other characters in the story like oh you'll love to see it like it touches on topics topics of like trans identity but never in like a, a a cruel being misgendered by other people way oh you'll love to see it it's all very introspective Gay stay winning. Yeah, it's very good, and I hope that it continues that trend with like Kikonia, because like I said, only only a fourth of the story is out, but Umineko's track record being what it is, like I have faith. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like literally just learning all of this now in mm-hmm. the last forty five minutes, like it sounds like the creator and like extended creative staff like have a pretty good track record. Yeah. Which is kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah. And there's like there's like some stuff that I've kind of like been like, ugh, with with the series as a whole. And that's like that um, Keiichi, so the, the main male character from Higurashi and Battler, the main uh, character from Umineko, have had some of their like typical kind of pervy teenage boy moments. But like... <sighs> 
in Higura, in Umineko, it's really only the first arc, and weirdly enough, mm-hmm. it's kind of plot relevant. Like, I won't say more beyond that. Okay, I... Yeah? I will... I will... Listen. <laughs> as much as, like, pervy teenage boy, like, is a trope, especially in Japanese media, specifically, mm-hmm. like, anime and manga, teenage boys just be like that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> they are just so horny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like it's it's such a weird thing just like the how the levels of different my brain set, wanted to say boy juice and girl juice and that's oh. not the right <laughs> words uh hormones mm-hmm. <laughs> I know too I know too many tra- I have too many trans yeah, I was say. on hormones and they all call their like shots like girl juice and boy juice yeah, titty skittles antihistamines Antihistamines. <laughs> There's so many good names, but um, like as far as it is, like as as it has the tendency to be an annoy an annoying trope, mm-hmm. like it's something that I'm not like super upset about a lot of the time. I just feel yeah. like it may be super annoying and noticeable to like people like us who are mm-hmm. and other like raised as a girl people. Just because we had to deal from that on the opposite end, and it's just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it's something he's definitely, like, phasing out of, because, like, the first Higurashi came out in 2002, and times are different now, because, like... <sighs> That's fair. It is also a little dated. Yeah. And so, like, I didn't get any of that in Kikonia. I haven't read Kikonia as obsessively, but, like, none of it really stood out to me. It's definitely the most in Higurashi, but even then, like, it's not a big part of Keiichi's character. It's just the occasional thing. I think that's valid of him. Yeah. And it's really toned, like, in, in Go and Sotsu, too, it's, like, not there at all, too, which is another, like, taking the same source material and then, like, really just eliminating that part that was not necessary. I appreciate that. Yeah. And then, like, the other thing, which I don't blame on the author at all, and I blame it on, like, anime being horny, is some of the, like, official art for the old Higurashi, especially, is kind of questionable. Yeah. They're, like... Are they in middle school? Yeah, like middle school, high school, and I'm like, Ugh. stop. Yeah. I like, I, I got the Blu-rays for um, the anime for Higurashi and Higurashi Kai, and I was super excited, and I opened it up, and there's that one piece of official art I forgot about, and I'm like, these are twin sisters. Stop it. Oh, no. <laughs> that's Stop the, that's... making the underage girls horny art. Yeah. Stop it. Horny and incest. Yeah. The worst double whammy. And it's, like, not at all in the story, like, the anime yeah. itself or the visual novel. And I'm like, this is just Studio Dean being horny as fuck and you need to stop. And then, literally, you have your explanation yep. right there. No further explanation needed for why things like fucking the absolute prevalence and saturation of lowly content in Japan. hmm because no one has told these fuckers no. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, but you don't get, like, it's not in the novels, it's not in the manga. So, uh, it's exclusively, oh, it's exclusively anime promotional God, materials. I hate that, too. Yeah. Like, at least for, at least, like, you just said, it's contained to promotional material, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yeah. But, like, I hate when... It's not in other adaptions, mm-hmm. and it gets forced into, like, the anime because 
the studio just throws stuff in. Yeah. Like, God, I, I'm pretty sure I remember a, an article written by someone who, like, exclusively does, like, deep dives into Sailor Moon. Mm -hmm. But I think Miss Takeuchi, the creator of Sailor Moon, like, had a specific hard line Mm -hmm. with Toei that, like, she did not want there could not be upskirt panty shots yeah. in Sailor Moon. Like, she was just not having it. to be it. like, you cannot make my middle school characters into, like, horny caricatures. Yeah. Yeah. As a sidebar, in Sailor Moon's situation specifically, it was interesting because in the manga, there's a lot of non-sexualized artful nudity. Mm-hmm. And, like, transformation sequence and, like, weird, vague dream sequences. And there's, like, lots of sparkles, like, blocking off the nipples and stuff. And it's all very tasteful. And, again, completely non-sexual because the characters are in middle school and then high school. But I really do appreciate, like, her sticking to her guns and Mm -hmm. being, like, absolutely fucking not. Not in my show. Not on my Christian Minecraft server. Yeah. <laughs> God, like, to go into a tangent now that you're talking about, like, the tasteful nudity and Magical Girl. Oh, anime, hell yeah. We love tangents here. Yeah, I remember reading Tokyo Mew Mew for the first time as a middle schooler. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and, and just, like, how inherently sexualized nudity is in our American culture. Like, the transformation sequence, because, confession, I never read or watched Sailor Moon, so... Tokyo Mew Mew. Valid. Tokyo Mew Mew was my first, like, transformation Magical Girl series. Me too. I read Cardcaptor Sakura. You and Suzanne. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's I'll good. be here alone in my Sailor Moon corner. Yeah. It's fine. Like, I, I had read Cardcaptor Sakura, and but she doesn't do, like, a transformation thing. And so Tokyo Mew Mew was my first one. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble. Those naked bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I think. When four kids did the dub and renamed it Mew Mew Power, they cut out a lot of that stuff. Like they censored a lot of the like there are points where they're pretty much just silhouettes. Mm-hmm. There's like a shot specifically because I used to be really into this YouTuber who like picked through every single discrepancy in Mew Mew Power. Uh-huh. Um, there's a shot where like Ichigo is uh, the main character is like throwing something or like she's jumping and she like looks down and her boobs are in the shot for no mm-hmm. reason. Um, and Mimi Power cut it out. Good. (laughs) Yeah, because she's, like, 13? Yeah. So, like, I get it sometimes, but also, like, there are moments when, I guess, like, it's interesting how the American version cut out certain things that weren't intended to be sexual in case they're misconstrued as sexual. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the DIC version of the original 90s Sailor Moon did that too mm-hmm. like they just went very heavy-handed in censoring a lot of unnecessary stuff on top of it already being pretty okay in terms of not being weirdly horny because again there was that hard limit of like i don't want to see any fucking panty shots of yeah. my characters oh yeah no like the cousins thing completely <laughs> not even buying the final season with the sailor starlights because i guess they were just like these people are Naked, and also the fact that they are gender fluid frightens us because it's the <laughs> 90s and we're, I presume, Christian. So <laughs> we're just not going to buy it and we're just going to let Sailor Moon die in the dust and 
than they did, and they never bought that last and never translated or produced that last season of Sailor Moon originally. But yeah, wild censorship. Yeah, in comparison, American censorship of international media in comparison to the prevalence of our everyday sexualized culture is wild. Yeah. Because, yeah, I just remember, like, that good old Catholic guilt seeing a, a naked oh, silhouette. Boy. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go to hell. And then and then I became Aww. gay. Yeah, and then it's like, Me well... too! And then it's like, well, we'll see, we'll see each other there, and it'll be a party. Yeah, we'll just have an anime party in hell. <laughs> yeah, with Lil Nas. Uh, it's fine. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hell yeah. But yeah, like, just jumping back to When They Cry, I think I've pretty much extolled so many of its virtues. I do have some numbers here that are absolutely buck wild that I just want to, like, work in here. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of the characters are amazingly well written and there's depth and, like, as they should with over two million words, like, per series. Jesus. Jesus, yeah. But I have some counts on, like, major character numbers here. So yeah. in Higurashi, there are 18 major characters that I counted, like, Whoa. throughout the series. And they all have, like, full backstories and stuff? Yeah. Uh, like, some are not oh. as in-depth as others, but it's like, they have motivations. You know who they are. Like, you know a little bit about where they're coming from. Damn. That's a lot to balance that many mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. Like, that's... That is a feat within within itself. Doctor Who can barely manage like three at a time, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? So, Kikonia, it's still in progress, but we're at 38 major characters. Huh? And, Ooh. like, we still haven't gotten backstories about all of them, but there are 38 major named characters who have significant dialogues and parts to play in the story oh. so far. Holy shit. And then the grand total, like, the cherry on top, Umineko Nanakakoroni. I could have miscounted because I am bad with numbers, but 57 major characters. What the fuck? With like names, like motivations. Some have more backstory than others, um, but they're distinct, well-written, in-depth characters. Like I'm not counting like one character goes to talk to like a true crime expert. I'm not counting him, but I'm counting (laughs) like the ones who play a significant role on part in the story yeah and higurashi was the first one that was literally just the original creator one by dude. himself right yeah and i mean he he wrote That's he wrote Umineko and Kikonia too but now he has more of a music staff and art staff to help back him up yeah um, now he has an actual staff yeah but like mm-hmm. managing both the backstories development interpersonal character interactions storylines and different plot threads between that many characters that's wild yeah and the continuity is also amazing because like unfortunately i didn't really go into higurashi with the mindset of like solving it but Uh umineko you can go into that with the mindset of solving it and you won't get all the details until they're revealed because there's some stuff that just like comes out in character backstory but you can and i know this because i did you can figure out who the culprit is by episode four of the light novel so by the end of the question arc mm-hmm. and roughly how they did it too there's some stuff that only comes out later in details but it is a solvable mystery that's really cool yeah, yeah. 
And like, it's also amazing because a major, a good majority of these female, these characters are female. Hell yeah! I say that like Keiichi's the main character of Higurashi, but he's really not. It's it's an ensemble yeah. cast. It's just kind of presented. Male wife coded. Yeah, it's like presented with him <laughs> as the main character, but you learn so much more about the other characters. And same with Umineko, like the main characters, the story is the game between Beatrice and Battler, and like the majority of Battler's family is female. He has two female cousins, aunts. So many of the side characters are female, like ensemble characters are female. And then Kikonia, I should have counted up like how many of how many characters there are, of like how many male characters, how many female characters in like rough bubbles, because there there ha- there isn't really anyone without going to spoilers who's like fully non-binary. Because mm-hmm. there's like some characters who pop up later, but. I should have counted to see like what the gender breakdown is, but I feel like it's much more strongly like female led casts, which is amazing. I dig that. Yeah. I dig that because a lot of the time, if there's a majority female cast, it's usually because it's a fucking harem anime. Yeah. I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. So like, that's really refreshing and nice. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I don't want to say like who the true main character of Higurashi is, but anyone who has seen it and hears me say like, Kei, she's the main character. It's like, no, he's not. <laughs> um it's someone else i like that you just didn't even like blink when i called him male wife coded and you just continued on talking because you're just so used to my bullshit and he is like i've I've, been some some great less so for higurashi but umineko too badler is also male wife coded um beatrice is a girl boss (laughs) Like she, she absolutely is like gaslight gatekeep girl boss. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I love her so. She's she's actually probably my favorite like female character of all time. Listen, this this podcast appreciates gaslight gate non like gender neutral gaskeep gate like <laughs> gaskeep gate like Jesus Christ. Yeah, Ga- gaslight gatekeep girl bosses. Yeah. It's a gender neutral term. <laughs> she is amazing. I love her so much. She's a bitch and I love her very much. <laughs> oh, my wife is a bitch and I love her. <laughs> but yeah, just like Incredible. the the sheer number of characters who are who are written so well, the sheer number of female characters, like the queer characters, the characters from different cultures and nations in Kikonia, the fact that they're able to take these serious topics and treat them with dignity and respect and it's never like a fan service way. Like it's not glorifying anything that shouldn't be glorified Mm -hmm. and like the stories are just really compelling they draw you in they're a bit i will say they're a bit of a slog at first because there's a lot of establishing text and i don't know if you've ever read like light novels or some other like visual novels that get very repetitive i think that's just like kind of like a a trademark of japanese writing style for those media yeah I mean, I've read a bunch of light novels, but they've all been, like, physical novels. Yeah. So they they do tend to be a little repetitive. Yeah, like, kind of like a meme for the first arc of Umineko is they're, they're talking about the financial situations of each of the, like, parents. And it's like, in short, mm-hmm. they needed a bunch of money right now! And that's, like, a line that gets repeated through, the, through this exposition. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Which is very funny, but also not because it comes up later <laughs> oh no um yeah because again umineko is very much like anti-capitalist like 
touching on that. Um, very good. But yeah, the, this is the series that is near and dear to my heart that I have been obsessed with for 15 years. I love it. Yay. I'm I'm excited to add it to my list and check it out. Like, very genuinely, yeah. Yeah, that makes me so glad. Like, if I can get even just, like, one person to check this out and then later talk with me about it. <laughs> Listen, that's me, homie. Hell yeah. Where can people find the manga, the anime, the visual novels? The visual novels, all on Steam. Okay. That's really accessible. Yeah. Which is really great, because what we had to do before is... Or what I did... Oh. Illegally download. illegally download it and then illegally <laughs> patch it in. Though I did oh actually, I did actually buy some Higurashi, and I got them. I got to meet Ryukishi at Anime Expo. What I cosplayed one of the characters. Oh, I have several when they cry cosplays. I cosplayed one of the char- one of the witch characters from Umineko, and he told me I was Sugoi. Oh, that is like <laughs> that's so good. The highlight of my career. Oh, Suzanne, <laughs> I am so sorry for the last and the current like three minutes of audio <laughs> someone is using the fucking blender what did you do no, no a blender they sell them as a bundle too but i think each of the individual higurashi arcs they're like five bucks each and they sell those arc by arc for some reason umineko is the answer arcs and the question arcs i got that backwards but so umineko and chiru and I think they're like $20. I have them bought. I have like my Steam open, but I don't see the prices here. But I think they're like 20 or something. And they have sales pretty often. Okay, 25 for the question arcs, 30 for the answer arcs. And then Kikonia is the most expensive. It's $40 for the one arc. But they Ooh. they really upped the production value. Yeah, I mean, and that's still 20 bucks cheaper than literally every feature triple a game yeah and like my playtime it took me like 24 hours to read so it's 24 hours of content if you're reading it obsessively like i do i mean that's genuinely like a good content to price ratio in in my opinion and they do have sales for the manga they have the uh like kindle or nook download so amazon and barnes and noble have them for digital download the physical copies are harder to get because they're mostly out of print. Oh, yeah, that's always unfortunate. But, you know, if you do a Google and something comes up, then it comes up. Yeah, you know, Google's free. Yeah. We don't we don't control what links you click on. Exactly. <laughs> For Higurashi, I'm not sure. Funimation might have the original anime. Hulu and Funimation have Go and Sotsu for when you get to there. Okay. Yeah, I will say Go and Sotsu, like, it's very much a spinoff, but what it gets to kind of plays into more of the meta of the One They Cry series and answers some questions about some characters in Umi Neko, actually, oh. from my interpretation of it. So yeah, definitely not a a, a reboot. <laughs> there's also spinoffs for like there's spinoff arcs for Hig- for um, Higurashi that I believe are on Steam. There is a very good technically Umi Neko spinoff. That's a manga called Hotarubi no Tomo, Tomoru Koroni. And the reason why it is a Higurashi spinoff is it's presented to one of the characters as like a mystery to solve. So it's very loosely connected. Ooh. But it's I, I want to talk about it a little bit because it's very cool. And I think, Maddie, especially you would like it. Yeah. Because um, it's a manga and you can read it online. It's not published anywhere. So I say like, just, you know, look it up. It's not 
licensed yet in the United States. I wish it was because I mm-hmm. want it very bad. The eternal curse yeah. of our interests. It's about a family that returns to their rural ho- hometown for their grandmother's funeral. And then, like, it goes to hell. Like, hell breaks loose. There's, there's Ooh. yokai. Ooh! Yeah. It's so good. And it's only, it's only like, two volumes long. A very short read. Yokai, my beloved. Yes. There's other content that 7th Expansion has put out. Like, uh, Higanbana no Sakuyo Yoruni, which is not on Steam yet, but, um, mm-hmm. is also very good. It's a collection of short stories that take place at a school. And you know, like, the... The, like, seven mysteries of the school type thing. Mm-hmm. It's about those. So, like, all the mysteries of the school and, like, the stories of their lives. Rose Gun Days, Love which it. I've never played. Tri-Anthology, which I've never played. But they're both also... They're not part of the When They Cry series. So, low priority for me. And then one that is on Steam is Iwai Hime, which is on my list. And I haven't read it yet. So, maybe I will do that and then have to talk about it later. So, that's another one. Oh, Yeah. Another one you can play by 7th Expansion is E.Y. Hime. Okay. I just uh, looked up where you can watch the original, like, 2006 Higarashi, and it looks like it's on Verve. Oh, which interesting. Is wild. It's wild to me that, like, Crunchyroll or Funimation yeah. don't have the rights to it. But that's apparently where you can pay to watch it. All right. I wonder if there's anywhere where you can watch the really bad Umineko anime. <laughs> looking it up. Like, maybe... Maybe the Reddit knows a link. Maybe, yeah. Like, the Umineko anime is definitely, like, the, the lacroix of Umineko. <laughs> and honestly, not worth it for Umineko anime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, for one thing, it's Studio Dean. For another, they show too much that oh. it's like, you know, when you have a primarily word medium and then you adapt it to a visual one. And then uh-huh. you end up showing stuff that's actually an impossibility. It's like, well, that's that's it. <laughs> um, we decided to show too much and ruined the continuity. So, hmm. yeah. Check out When They Cry. Read When They Cry stuff, uh, whether it's the manga or the visual novel. And then if you want to watch the anime as a treat, go for it. <laughs> Which is on Hulu and Funimation, right? Yeah, the the Go and Sotsu, and then Verve for the original, I guess. Yeah, and I think it listed, like, two, like, miniseries or something. But there are, like, two other, like... Yeah, there's... Series listed on there. Yeah. But, like, I don't know anyone who has a Verve subscription. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, like, some (laughs) spinoffs that are just, like, kind of, like, what-if scenarios that I guess are canon, but also not, like, super... They, They don't affect the main story at all. Okay, yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, awesome. You've at least listened to a couple episodes of the podcast, so you know that most of the time we try and do a, like, what have we been watching recently mm-hmm. segment at the end. Oh, yeah. Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll go first, then. Okay. Because <laughs> it's very short for me right now, because I am a student who is taking way too many classes, uh, right now, oh, bro. <laughs> right now, all I'm watching is uh, Demon Slayer. I am obsessed with oh, Demon yeah. Slayer. That's another one I will gladly talk about. I know for I've way seen too your Ita bags. <laughs> yeah, God, <laughs> your um, several Ita bags. Yeah, I love it so much. Like the second series, I mean, the second season started airing, and the first arc is just 
the the movie arc that they put they added a little bit more stuff in like new cuts and made that the first arc which mm-hmm. I, I kind of attribute to covid because like mm-hmm. it's easier to reuse material i watched that whole thing again though yeah but the new arc, which features one of my favorite characters, is starting this weekend, and I am very excited about that. Who's your Who's your favorite character? The 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 butterfly lady. Oh, um, yeah, right I, with like the butterfly head headpiece. Yeah, I love uh, that's Shinobu. I love her. I love Inosuke. Our like feral. That's her name. Yeah, feral Borson Inosuke. <laughs> oh. I love him. And then the one coming up in the best boy in the new arc, um, whom I am very excited for, is our polyamorous king Tengen Uzui. He has yes, three wives. You, you you and Avalon were telling me. Yeah, you and Avalon were telling me about him, and I I admire his vibes. He has such good vibes. Three wives. He loves more than anything, and he's just very good. Incredible. And then the the other series I need to watch soon um, because it just came out is uh, JoJo Part Six Stone Ocean. I think they released yes. like twelve episodes on Netflix. I just need to uh, acquire a Netflix password again. I don't have one on my laptop, and I am not about to watch JoJo with the rest of the household because it's Part Six, and <laughs> it just makes no sense. <laughs> I can't uh, imagine. But hold on. When when does JoJo actually make sense, though? I mean... No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. no okay, no, no, no. I know this is, like, season six, but, yeah. like, also, like, when I'm watching the show, it <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just kind of... I sit there and I let it happen to me. Yeah, you, you experienced JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, this summary... Of the history of all of the 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 JoJo's that I got, <laughs> my drunken half hour rant. <laughs> it was closer to an hour, homie, oh my God. and I enjoyed every every minute of it because I knew absolutely nothing about JoJo. And then we sat on a couch at this bachelorette party. <laughs> overtook the whole conversation and boy howdy did i learn about the intricacies of jojo <laughs> and i will watch it at some point yes. it is on my list but i love the osmosis knowledge i have of it just based on your explanation nothing can top like dropping the line jesus was the first joe star <laughs> and then just like yeah. letting that ferment in a room yeah <laughs> so- Sentences that would absolutely kill a 12th century peasant. <laughs> How would they even understand it for it to kill him in the first place? <laughs> well, because I give this whole yes. rant starting from arc one, oh, okay, building up you. to what this means. <laughs> and that's yeah. why it takes an hour. Yeah. Like, I had to, I got the whole lowdown. I got the whole story explained to me. Wow. It was a very good uh, explanation. <laughs> Because I feel like I've seen it without seeing yeah. it. Um, but I will watch it for realsies. It is such a good like exercise in suspension of disbelief. Oh, it 100% oh. is. It's <laughs> like, so much fun. You're just like, it, yeah, of course that happens. Naturally. This is where we've come <laughs> from. From our somewhat normal beginnings of vampires in the 18th century or whenever. Mm-hmm. To ambulances. To whatever, yeah. the, to whatever the fuck's happening now. <laughs> ambulances being objectively better than road rollers like that's just how it works baby god so that's what i'm watching slash anticipating watching wonderful 
Um, I mean, I'll, I'll go next. I haven't really been keeping them with much. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure one of the last episodes I talked about start like watching Star Wars Visions. So my, my partner and I, like Jack and I started live action Cowboy Bebat. Oh. And then paused on like episode three or four because I got super busy for like two weeks and then binged all of Hitmonkey on Hulu instead, which isn't technically anime. It is an animation. It's fun. It's also a good lesson in suspension of disbelief. Excellent. And suspension of disbelief in a Marvel property because they don't explain a whole lot and a lot just happens huh? around the characters. So it, you have to really remind yourself that, no, 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 this is a Marvel property. This takes place in the same universe as, like, Kingpin and superheroes and weird cosmic shit. So everything that's happening right now is perfectly valid and explainable. They're just not giving the answers in this short form series. Interesting. Which is totally fine. I feel like the, like, the writing was tight a lot of the dialogue was really snappy and really fun and the voice acting was all really good the animation was a little weird it's like that style that doesn't do a whole lot of in-between frames so it's not fluid all the time is it like rotoscopes it's not rotoscope they just don't do in-betweens is it like wave the house husband yes where they animate on the i think the off frames too Mm. and so it it can look really choppy mm-hmm. because they don't do smear frames oh, okay. or a whole lot of in-betweens except for like fight scenes. Like it could have, it could have stood to be like a little bit more grounded in, in reality genuinely mm-hmm. because like in comparison, like there, there's a couple other series that are like similar to like very nonsensical sort of fantastical premises like like hit monkey where there's like a vague supernatural overtone that's just never explained like fucking doom patrol mm-hmm. the tv show and doom patrol at least has moments of like being grounded so you're not totally constantly in a state of having to suspend your belief in regards to the rules of the in content world but the hit monkey does isn't super grounded and that is my one gripe with it Mm -hmm. and all of their animation budget clearly went to the fight scenes in the final episode but otherwise pretty good pretty fun very violent uh as a as a content warning but like i mean what are you gonna do with a show called hit monkey very fun fun time not actually anime but fun it is animated nice uh but we we binged that instead of continuing live action cowboy bebop do you think you'll ever finish it yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, I wasn't having a bad time. So what I will say about live-action Cowboy Bebop. Uh-huh. It's not the worst live-action anime adaption I've ever seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Several efforts along the entire production pipeline were clearly made. Mm-hmm. And certain people clearly cared about the source material. But, like, some of the... Some of the choices in terms of which storylines they focused on mm-hmm. or beefed up and which ones they didn't mm-hmm. from the original anime, like that, a lot of those choices seem really odd, even as someone who is not like 
a super big fan of the original anime and has only seen a handful of episodes. And so doesn't have, I don't have that nostalgia factor. I don't have any real attachment to the original show, but like, even I'm like, these are weird choices that they made in regards to the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it unfortunately genuinely feels like it slows down the show. Yeah. yeah. In a bad way. Like I am rewatching the anime again. Cause I was like, the first time I watched it was like a good few years ago. So I didn't remember most of what happened. But, like, mm-hmm. it's a problem if every time Vicious shows up, it's, like, an inbuilt bathroom break. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. no. in the original anime, he is a very interesting character, but the reason why he works is because he shows up infrequently, but they made him the focus yeah. of the live action, and he's just this yeah. giant ham in the middle of the story, and he just slows everything down, and I hate it. Oh, no. Yeah, and also... Like, not... God, this is gonna sound like such a dick thing to say, but, like, the actor who plays Vicious, like, there's just something about his face <laughs> and his appearance, and I, I I genuinely think it might be the really terrible, like, white platinum wig they have him in, because uh-huh. I just, I can't, I can't get past it, but, like, his visual appearance is so distracting that it also means those scenes are not only boring, but are just visually so overstimulating and boring at the same time it's kind of wild how they managed to do that i'm gonna which is really unfortunate (laughs) i'll just say i'm gonna i'm gonna look him up because i'm not familiar at all with any of this so i've never watched couple of oh my god yeah vicious live action he looks so weird right that wig is so bad that wig is awful (sighs) there's so many bad wigs in the show which is wild because john cho's hair doesn't bug me that much Mm -hmm. but like whatever fucking wig they put on this poor man playing vicious this is just awful and not flattering like the two extremes of characters having white hair and the difference in wig quality (laughs) you really can't tell in between like Geralt from the witcher yeah and then this dude (laughs) this is like (laughs) amazon.com yeah it's so bad this is is amazon and then scrolling down to like the 25 or under wigs oh yeah like this this is obviously gonna be like a whole like podcast episode or maybe perhaps two but like perhaps two <laughs> but yeah uh what about what about you suzanne what are you what have you been watching besides also cowboy bebop <laughs> um i'm behind on everything but i guess my highlights this season are blue period which is an anime about this high school kid yatura who's kind of like a huge nerd, but also is the kind of guy who will, like, stay out until 2 a.m. on a school night to hang out with his friends. And then one day he just gets super into art and decides that he's gonna go to art school. And the anime at least follows him realizing how intense the art world is. And it's super interesting because, like, it deals a lot with, um, like, how difficult it is to gauge what good art is. So Yatara, who's like way less experienced than all the other people in the crime school he's going to, they'll get graded and the, all the other art students will have like a contest in this art school. Um, and there are some pieces where he does better in grading than other students who are like considered artistic geniuses. Mm-hmm. It's interesting seeing like how it deals with like, is good art just like something that's really pretty? Or is good art something that evokes emotion? Or is there, like, how do you judge what's good or 
bad in art. I think it's a really interesting show. And then there's another one called Ranking of Kings, which I think is being slept on. Hmm. And it has a deaf main character. Um, The show is set in like a fantasy universe um, where all of the rulers of different kingdoms are ranked, which is why it's called Ranking of Kings. And Boji is the son of a king who was ranked like within the top 10. He was very well known, very famous. He brought the kingdom from like destitution to like like massive kingdom that's renowned around the world. But Boji is his beloved son, but he is deaf and he can't speak. And so he's underestimated by everybody else. So everyone just assumes that he's like too dumb to be the successor. And it's an interesting story because time and time again, it's very obvious that like Boji is actually very clever, but he's also very weak. And it's interesting to see how the show, like what he does when he comes up against people who are way stronger than him. And he's underestimated at every turn. And I'm not deaf. So this is like a very, um, this is coming from like a hearing person who doesn't like even no sign language. I think it handles his disability very well, where Hmm. characters within the story will underestimate him, but it'll show again and again that like, he is a lot stronger than he seems without it being like, without it veering into like inspiration porn kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like all those posts that show like a kid on an oxygen tank, like competing in something. And it's like, oh, if he can do it, then so can you. And it's, like, really gross. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think... It doesn't give me that vibe, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. But so far, I've seen, like, six episodes, and it's very good. Yeah, that one's actually on my list. I heard about it before, and um, Uh the fact that it does have a deaf main character, I I was like, I gotta check this out when I have time. Because what I do study is speech language pathology and communication disorders. Mm. And so... Again, I am also hearing I am not deaf, but it's a field I want to work in, working with deaf individuals and like audiology. And Mm -hmm. so that also drew me to it. And so I'm very excited to like check it out. And it's kind of cool that it's coming up a little more in anime now Mm -hmm. because it's a bit of a stretch. But um, like Jujutsu Kaisen, also in the realm of communication and communication differences, there's the uh, character Inumaki who technically uses alternative communication when he mm, speaks. Yeah. And so looking at that also from a speech language um, perspective is also really interesting. So I'm excited to get into this, especially since like I have now heard from other people that it is good. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my one, okay. I've complained about in the discord about this, but yes, the wonderful creators of death note created another, oh, no. <laughs> created another manga together called, platinum end and Uh so like the Uh hype for this anime before it came out was significant like i was seeing a lot more like previews and ads for it and stuff than other anime airing in the same season and i was like oh it's the artist and writer of death note it's gotta be good right even though the artwork was giving me kind of like "Eh," vibes i couldn't put my finger on it but i was kind of like "Mm, this isn't exciting me but whatever it it's probably good. It's by two people who did like a really good 
<sighs> story before. But Platinum End pretty much follows this main character, Mirai, whose entire family died in an explosion, basically. And the story starts with him about to commit suicide, and he is saved by an angel who tells him that if he accepts either wings or these special arrows, then he can live, but he will join a pool of people who are being considered to become God. And it's kind of like future diary, basically. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be less of a competition because it's not like you have to kill each other to become God. Mm -hmm. The idea is that like there are other God candidates and at the end of 999 days, all of the other angels will come together and discuss their candidates and pick a God. <sighs> and like the first episode is like a ton of exposition and you're just kind of being bombarded with all of this information and the entire time I can't help but compare it to Death Note because where Death Note Light was kind of just like left on his own to discover anything beyond the basic rules in Platinum End the story will just give it to you and it's not satisfying and it's very mm. hard to follow because it's just text like you're not discovering it with the character it's just being thrown at you because the story is too busy thinking that, like, you'd be way more interested in, like, what the main evil character is doing. And one thing that really bothers me about this show that, like, does not make any fucking sense is that the entire plan is not to, like, kill each other off. It's to, like, basically for the angels to gather data to pick a god. But, like, one of the god candidates this time has decided that he's going to kill everybody else. So you mean to tell me that billions of years of existence of God and these angels, and no one had a contingency plan in case one of the candidates turned out to do something like this? Like, none of y'all thought, like, oh, what if one of the random people we pick is actually, like, like a serial killer? Like, what do we do then? Nothing? You're just gonna let him do this, I guess. It doesn't, like, there are so many things in the show that do not make sense, and it's not fun to watch. It's Raw. It's bad. It makes me so upset. Genuinely. Yeah. Yeah, because Death Note was, like, so good, and so that's just, like, a, a disappointment. Like, right? Death Note was so well thought out, but I don't know what the fuck happened with Platinum End, where you have, like, this very weak main character whose motivations are pretty, like, pretty much, like, his whole thing is that he refuses to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. And I do admire the fact that they have, like, this kind of pure main character and they didn't do that thing that I was worried they were going to do where they, like, have him snap. They haven't done that yet. But he's just a very... Stuff just happens to him. So mm -hmm. it's, like, very boring to watch. Like, he won't, like, actively go and do things. Like, if the story just left him alone, basically, like, he would go into a corner and hide for the rest of the time and then come out when the 999 days was over so the story has to like drag him back in and it's not it's not fun it sucks i hate it it sounds like literally the opposite of death note in so yes! many ways <laughs> yeah and created by yeah. the death note people it's wild <sighs> the duality i just what what happened and i know it's bad because the exact i think demographic they're going for which is like young men basically even they're not into it so you know it's bad oh yikes <laughs> but yeah that's that's platinum end um i might do like a 
I just need to like complain about this anime because it's just a disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, that's what I've been. There's like other, what is it, like seven other shows on my list, but I won't get into those. You know, I completely forgot that like reading manga is a thing. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, and I do it. And so when I was trying to think about like what media I'm doing right now, I'm, I just completely neglected the manga. I started reading Shadow's House and that was very good. Ooh. I yeah. have only seen the first season of the anime. See, like, I for some reason, I will make time to watch anime, but I don't have time to, like, go and find the manga. But the anime was interesting. I'm, like, the exact opposite, where I always seem to have time to read manga, but as soon as I think about starting anime, I'm like, but that's a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Cod. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting premise, and mm-hmm. it... It gives me, like, Promise Neverland vibes, which the manga for mm. Promise Neverland is very good, but I heard the second season, the anime, not so much. Yeah. So it gives me, like, that vibe with actually keeping it up, like, keeping up the pacing. Okay. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, again, it's not licensed in the United States yet, so I am... But, yeah, <laughs> there is a uh, first season of the anime. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the other thing. Hell, yeah. But thank you again so much for for joining us yeah. and learning us some fucking Higurashi. Yeah, thank you for having me and letting me just like rant about my favorite thing ever for so long. Literally, love to see it. That's this entire podcast. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's the whole reason why we started this. I have so many like thoughts and feelings that I need a place to put them. So thank you. <laughs> Hell yeah, always. Yay. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TwoWeebsPod, or you can email us at weebsinatrenchcoat at gmail.com. Our opening theme is My Way by Whitney, and the ending theme is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers. And I'm Madison. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Eli. And remember that every Gaslight Gatekeep girl boss deserves their their male male wife coded partner absolutely (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) yes